can I just use my camera for that? Turn my camera on and say, hey, can you can you please tell me that this is consensual? You're listening to PHP Ugly, episode 92. Today we talk about the IT crowd, Symphony, Laravel, and enterprise support, confirmation emails, and contracts for consensual sex. Here we go. Gentlemen, are you ready to feel old? Yes. Director James Cameron's apocalyptic sci-fi movie, The Terminator, was released in 1984. I'm okay with that. I remember being a child when that movie came out. I was a very young man. A child, I might say. So I'm I'm okay with that. But do you realize that the sequel to The Terminator, which was Terminator 2, Judgment Day, was released in 1992? This is episode 92 of PHP Ugly, the liquid metal T-1000 episode. (laughs) Oh my gosh, you're stretching. You're going to sequels to get dates. You know, I was still a child. Dude, I remember I was... I was out of school. I was I was actually out of... I finished up my couple years of community college. I think I was working a regular job when T2 came out. So, and to find out that that was back in 92... So who are you trying to make feel... Who are you trying to make cool. feel old right now? I was still in high school. Yeah, I think, I think that's just making you feel old. I don't think that makes either of us feel old. Well, I do because I'm now thinking back to high school and that was a long time ago. So, good job, Eric. Bastard. How's everybody doing? Good. Oh, yeah. Exhausted. You know, the thing I say every week. Yeah. I'm in your time zone now, Thomas, which is, like, really bothering me. I'm in a very pixelated Arizona, <laughs> if anybody's watching the live stream, which there isn't. That's... I don't know what it is about Arizona, but everything's very pixelated. because I have no internet speed out there. Every time you go out there, it's painful. Yeah. And Arizona, Arizona is one of these weird states where they don't change. They they, they don't respect the the uh, the daylight savings time. So it's always the same time years, which means half the year when we're in California, we're on the same time as Arizona. The other half of the year, Arizona's is, ahead of us. Is it all of Arizona or, or only this is that half? So. Yeah, is it always uh, are all of Arizona or just uh, specific I would cities? All of Arizona. That is, I would assume all of Arizona. I don't know. That's got to be real easy to handle when you're handling dates on a computer. <laughs> uh, well, they have their own special time zone when it comes to that. Oh, that's true, they do. <laughs> yeah, because of that specific fact, which I think is fine. I I hate the fact that we switch back and forth twice a year. Annoying. I agree. But I think it's weird that, like... I mean, the fact that Arizona doesn't just goes to show you that it's not a requirement. Right. But you're you're not going to please everybody. Some people like it getting dark earlier, and some people want it to stay light later. And I found myself in both camps within the past few years of that. I used to be um, steadfast in I wanted to stay light later so I could do stuff after work. And then I got into disc golf and wanted to play disc golf in the morning. Like, no, I want it to be light in the morning so I could get out early to play. So, 
can't even please myself, let alone everybody else. <laughs> well, that came out really, yeah. <laughs> really wrong. I was, I was just going to let you roll with it, but I choked on my own laugh. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a problem, too. John, you have zero cards on the Trello board. But I got a good one. You, no, did you have you, none. Did, but I have a good story to talk about. All did right. you did you see that uh, Graham Linehan, whoever that is, confirms the IT crowd is set for a U.S. remake? I did see that. No! Yay! So, I love that show. I, ha- I don't think I've ever seen a whole episode. I've always seen clips of it, and I really love what I've seen. What? I've seen lots of parts of it. Netflix, baby. All I know is Snipeyhead replied to that saying, No! So I'm assuming she thinks it's going to be a, a terrible remake. Yeah, I can't imagine it well, being that great. Well, we're always remaking this BBC. What do you mean? We did a great job with The Office. That's true. Well, we fundamentally changed The Office. It just wasn't the same show. It was the same, like... It It was the same concept. No. I'm sure, I'm sure they're probably going to do the same thing. The Office? It was very much the same concept. Yeah. I think it was, from what I've seen. Are you kidding me? Have you ever seen the BBC Office? I've only seen the BBC Office. I think it'll be. I think it could be really good because they can obviously update it to things happening today. I so it's it's surprisingly old when you watch it because I've mm-hmm. watched That's it very saying. recently. I've watched it very recently, and it's still extremely timely when it comes to the tech side of things. Mm-hmm. But the business side of it is very dated. Yeah. Like, they, they make a lot of jokes about incredibly sexist environments. And it wouldn't... That's kind of, yeah. kind of, kind of the thing, though. <laughs> yeah, but that would not fly. Like, and, I mean, in America right now, a comedy about they a don't, sexist boss They don't wouldn't... do it in a way that... They don't do it in a way that make, makes it look acceptable. They're very clear that the guy is, a, the guy is an idiot. Yeah, but he succeeds despite that. It'll be interesting to see what they do with it. And there, now you can say, you can take back your words about me not having any cards. Thank you very much. See, my issue with it is recasting. Because the... I mean, besides just Graham, you know, Graham Linehan, uh, who what, wrote it, it had... Oh, he wrote he wrote that? Yeah. I'm sorry, directed. Oh, no, and wrote. Directed and wrote it. And But the key to it was funny. Chris O'Dowd and Richard Iode, who were, like, born for that role. And if they recast them, it's, in my opinion, a huge mistake. Because I don't, I don't know how you can get those characters out of it, somebody else. Again, I go back to the Office reference. I'm sure everybody thought the exact same thing about the office and in the Michael Scott character, it's like uh, whatever his name, uh, uh, what what was his uh, Jarvis or Jer- uh, um, Ricky Gervais? No, the the BBC version, oh. Gervais. Yeah, I'm sure everybody said nobody can play that character but him. But it's and, it's a very different uh, character between the two, and and the key for that one is the character of Dwight. Because Not the character Dwight though. simply I, I don't know doesn't. Why you keep it's it does, the character of Dwight simply doesn't exist in the in the UK version. 
they had to make a different character. That's what makes the U.S. version better. I'm telling you, we did that one better. We did it better, but it was right. fundamentally different. It this, wasn't the uh, same we show. We keep debating this on a 30-second delay all we want. Yeah. It's irritating me <laughs> to no end. That's, right that's why I'm, I'm pushing I, I, it I, I, as hard as I, I can. I agree with Eric on this one. Just going it could on be record. good. It could be terrible. Don't forget the the U.S. But that's nothing to television do with the office production version. companies made the Caveman show. Did you guys ever see the Caveman's TV show based off the Geico characters? No, I don't think so. No. Yeah, no one saw it because it was the most overtly racist thing ever put on television, and it immediately got pulled. It was disgusting. So we can we can ruin anything. Like we did this show. <laughs> That's specifically the three of us can ruin anything. <laughs> All so right, now, Eric, I, you want to tell I, us why you're out in Arizona? Let's move on. I am, depending on how long I stay out here, um, I may, if I'm actually here next week, I think the Arizona PHP user group is meeting on Tuesday. Uh, so if I'm still here on Tuesday, I, I think I'm going to head up that way and, and check them out and maybe pimp out uh, maybe pimp uh, wave PHP a little bit yeah, hand out some brochures and stuff brochures yeah I don't know <laughs> oh, really feeling like the timing on this show is so bad <laughs> it's because it is I'll right fix now. it in post it's horrible right now <laughs> Thomas, what have you got going right. on? Um, oh man, I have had the the week of annoyances. So I upgraded. Well, I switched over to Docker recently, and I'm really loving Docker. It's great, but between when I switched over from Docker to when I needed to go back to my Vagrant machine to do some stuff, I patched my system for Spectre and Meltdown which flat out destroyed my ability to run Vagrant. Really? So, yeah, so I would say Vagrant up, and my machine would lock up hard. The screen would freeze, nothing would work, just dead right there. And I believe it's because of the Spectre Meltdown kernel patch, or maybe any number of other things. And after messing with it for hours and hours trying to get it working again, I decided my best option was that since I was running on an old version of Ubuntu, I should probably finally take the plunge and upgrade to 17.10, the newest version of Artsy Aardvark. Mm -hmm. uh, that failed mid-install. Like <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um Rebooted the machine, black screen, no desktop. Fortunately, from my days installing Linux from scratch using chroot on Gentoo, a stage 3 Gentoo build, I know how to still get at the OS if everything fails. So I was able to get in and see that everything appeared to be working fine. I just had no screen. Turns out, this this was over a six or seven hour period, that Ubuntu messed up. The third party drivers for NVIDIA and AMD do not support the newest kernel or what have you. 
had to uninstall those drivers. They didn't uninstall during the upgrade process. And that resulted in the black screen. So once I got that working, then it was time to get Synergy working because I work off of this laptop that I had to have pulled out on my desk in front of my other computer that I was doing all my research on. Well, Synergy doesn't show the mouse cursor, which is kind of important, it turns out, when you want to click on something specifically. Like the title bar to drag a window around. Yeah. So <clears throat> Ubuntu 17.10 is switching from the Xorg uh, window system to a new window system, uh, Wayland. Wayland. And Synergy has not implemented support for Wayland yet. Even though in February of last year, someone asked them about it and they said, absolutely, we'll have it implemented in 2017. Well, now Symphony is selling hard on Symphony 2 on every YouTube channel that there is and even podcasts and stuff like that, despite the fact that... Synergy 2, you mean? Right. You said Symphony Sorry. So Synergy 2. They're shilling this thing hard. They're selling and selling and selling. I've got three emails from them that say, uh, last chance sale, buy a lifetime certificate today, right now, right now, right now. And I'm just thinking to myself, aren't you open source? Aren't you not supposed to do this? So anyways, there's a simple switch to revert from Wayland back to Xorg on the desktop. I'm back up and running. Get VirtualBox installed and updated. Everything's working fine. Finally done, and I'm back to work the next morning. But total nightmare. Sounds like it. So what's the big difference between Wayland and You bring up an interesting point, Thomas. I'll let Eric go first because he's on delay. No, I'm, I'm, going, off, I'm going off topic, so i uh, answer John. John? I said, what's the big difference between Wayland and Xorg? What are they changing? From, from my understanding, they're trying to change as little as possible, but update the whole Windows Manager interface to be more friendly to developers and maintainers. Um, as you can imagine, X11 turned into Xorg is a huge, huge project. And I think that just uh, the, the software complexity got too high for anyone to maintain in a reliable way. Mm. So Wayland is the attempt to hit the reset button, start over from scratch on something that everyone can support. So far, no one's supporting it. And do you think it'll be accepted by other distributions other than Ubuntu? I think so. I mean, I've I've messed with X11. Back Actually, in the day. Red Hat Red Hat was doing the first big push of uh, Wayland. Uh, Wayland's been pretty prominent in the KDE community for a while, uh, and Red Hat was who their big KDE backers uh, were kind of have been pushing the Wayland builds for for a while. Everybody's been kind of waiting for for it to get blessed by Ubuntu, um, and now it's sort of maybe kind of happening. It's not really clear. It looks like it is, but you know, it's it's not really it doesn't seem to be rolling out as everybody expected. And it's one of these things where Wayland's been around for years, and 
people are starting to feel like we're missing the boat on it. Like, okay, you know, it, it didn't get the adoption that the the community felt like it should should have gotten. Everybody's sticking with the old school stuff, and uh, uh, OS distributors like Red Hat, like Ubuntu, are starting to say, well. We can't jazz up our interfaces anymore until we embrace Wayland or until we move off XORG. And the only only other thing out there really that has any sort of traction is Wayland. So I, I know all this, and I, I don't even follow uh, I don't even follow Linux desktops that closely anymore. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's been going on for a while. But you bring up an interesting point, Thomas. Um, and I've been trying. I've been trying to bring brain thinkers, uh, brain thinking questions to the show lately. So I guess this will be my. I'm kind of going off the cuff here. I heard you say the difficulty of maintaining open source uh, projects like uh, Xorg, and there's been a lot surface, surfacing uh, lately around the way maintainers are maintaining open source pro, uh, open source projects. From even from things as you know close to our hearts like Laravel, and you know people not feeling like uh, not really agreeing with the way Taylor manages that project, and I, I, quite honestly, I feel that it's his project. He is actually free to kind of manage it however he wants, but for as long as he does that, you know we go back to the whole enterprise ready argument you will not be anywhere close there as long as you feel like you have the final word on everything that happens on your project it's fine it's your project you you're most you're you're absolutely entitled to have the last word of everything that's done but as long as it's in that state there will be no commercial adoption to the level of enterprise implementation that everybody feels like laravel is ready for but that's neither here nor there. The other thing I'm hearing a lot about is people who are trying to maintain open source projects just flat out getting burnt out on the time commitment and effort that open source projects are taking now because you do have big companies who are implementing these open source solutions, even small projects, open source libraries, and there's all of a sudden these huge expectations set onto the project maintainers of keeping these uh, these projects you know compatible up to date bug free security issue free and you're seeing a lot of open source open source maintainer burnout um, I know you Thomas recently within the last year took over the the helm of uh, of being an open source maintainer for a very prominent package. And, you know, we've heard from you as well, saying this is a lot more work than I anticipated. So I'm kind of throwing the question out there. What do you think can be done? I mean, do you think more maintainers should kind of take Taylor's approach of, no, screw all you guys. I'm going to do this on my schedule, the way I want to do it, when I want to do it, and that's the final word, which seems to work for him. I mean, he doesn't, you know. He stays on top. You you get a lot of new releases of Laravel, or you know, or or do you think there's another solution? I mean, because it definitely looks like the maintainers who try to be very accommodating to requests, who try to look at all the PRs, 
they're the ones that are struggling with burnout. Open forum, free discussion. What do you guys think? Well, I, I think GitHub, the structure of GitHub right now is the structure of open source. You have code issues, pull requests, and uh, point releases. And that's the way that I think most open source maintainers use it. But that means that they're in charge, that, that one person is in charge of the code, the issues, the pull requests, and the point releases. And what I would really like to see is somebody who just takes pull requests. Somebody who just says, is this pull request properly tested? Is this pull request uh, changing things that it shouldn't change? And then have them sign off on a pull request for approval by the, the lead, and then have the lead issue the final change and, and maybe point release. Um, I know that that was a big issue for me when I was reviewing code getting pushed to uh, Iron Q was why did they push it? Did they, did they put enough comment, you know, documentation into their pull request? And did they change something that they didn't say that they were changing? And you've got to read through sometimes thousands of lines of code to see that they didn't sneak something in there that's going to break everything. And especially with tests, you know, I would, I would be updating the version to support Laravel 5.4 and... I look at the tests and the tests are no longer valid fundamentally because of how Laravel has changed fundamentally. So I'm modifying tests while modifying code. And if somebody sends me a PR with modified code and modified tests, how do I know that they're continuing the same testing, you know, stringency that is required for the project? Uh, there's just, there's so much oversight that has to be done. And then on top of the oversight, there's one person who's taking responsibility for anything going wrong. See, I have a little bit of a different take. Well, not not necessarily a different take. I think there should be a business built around being an open source maintainer. If you're maintaining a project... Mm, you, I like where you're going yeah, with this, John. If you're maintaining a project, it's going to go the direction you want it to go. But if a company is relying on your product or your your, your project for their product that they are making money off of, they should be paying to have things done that they want done. If they need something fixed or they want a new feature, they should be paying for it. And and as a as a, I I think John is hitting the nail on the head for me. This is exactly what I I I have the exact same thought process as as John on this. I think a a, a compensation mechanism needs to be put in place so that maintainers do get some sort of compensa compensation for these critical issues that need, that companies are probably willing to pay to have have fixed. I mean, I know for years it was taboo to to think about making money in open source, but the whole thing is the whole principle of open source was that that's how you made money was through support, not through the software, but through support of the software, not through the whatever, but through the support of whatever. that That's always been the fundamental philosophy of open source. And the problem is, is we never implemented that avenue of compensation to make it very easy for a maintainer to be compensated by a company who are, are who are looking for for that's something sure GitHub could, that's, uh, Sorry, John, didn't mean to But that's something GitHub off, could but, build in so easily to say, I'm going to open this issue on this project, 
and I'm willing to pay X dollars to get this fixed. And then the maintainer can decide, do I want to work on a feature I, I want, or do I want to make some money on this and tackle this other feature? Bounties? And, and it bounties, doesn't have to or, be the maintainer. Could be, it, could be, it could be a bug bounty. Bug bounty. It could be, yeah, it could be, be a bug bounty system through GitHub. Yeah, it could be 20 different people saying, hey, I, I'll pay $5 for this. And, you know, a big corporation will say, I'll pay $500 for this. And then once it's fixed... You know the the maintainer gets that money from all those people because they fixed the the problem that they had. So what about synergy? I mean, I've been spouting my hate for what synergy's business model is for a long time now, but but my biggest issue with them is that they paywalled the code, or so they paywalled the compiled. They code. pay they paywalled the the compilation of the code. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you can't you can't argue that that they felt that that was a service worth compensation, so they do it. But now they're I mean, making enough money that yeah. they're advertising all over the place. I mean, I think that's that that doesn't mean they're making that doesn't mean they're making money. It means they're trying to make yeah. money. And uh, so I I've always felt that synergy with synergy. Good. No, I, I apologize, guys. I, my, keep going. My, my delay over here is absolutely horrible. just keep going. Yeah, uh, I, 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 and I, and I don't, I don't want to go off on on a rant with with synergy either because I think John is talking about a more valid point here. But with, with synergy, I mean, you know, they again they adhere to the open source model where they've released the code. You can get the code. You compile the code code yourself. But if you want the compiled version, which they feel has value, or if you want support, you've got to pay. But I don't think they're making money hand over fist because I, Synergy is a very, very, very niche market. I, I, I mean, I, I would be surprised to find out that they're making more than a couple hundred thousand dollars off it. So, I mean, if, really, if I, I don't think they're making they're, that much money. If they're all. paywalling the compiled code what's to stop me from taking the open source compiling it and releasing it is there something in their uh terms or in the the i can't even think uh you know well about. they've they've closed sourced everything they built on top of it so there's the synergy core which is all of the the base api functionality but everything else that makes it actually work or makes it convenient is now closed sourced okay so they they it's not an open like, source it's project not closed anymore source, it's just you gotta pay for yeah, it yeah what they have isn't an open source they're using an open source project to make money now well they closed an open source an open source project so they moved it from the it, synergy it, project honestly i mean i mean thomas i mean i mean that argument can be made with a lot of commercial projects that nothing by Red Hat. An open source product. I mean, let's take IBM for example, right? You know, you, you, you think you think the their IBM WebSphere web server is completely and one hundred percent proprietary code, or do you think they pull in they pull in open source projects into that that code base that they then turn around and resell for thousands of dollars to enterprises? I, yes, that that's exactly what they do. That that's that's why they're web And Synergy, you know. And yes, they add their little. They add yeah, their little. Synergy may have started out open source, but there's nothing saying you can't change your the direction you want to go. Well, except the license. 
But people change licenses all the time. Up until this point, you're open source, and then after that, you're closed source. You tell me you couldn't change Iron Q's uh, license right now? I mean, there's oftentimes people I are bouncing between different licenses. I honestly don't know. I don't know licenses well enough to answer that question. I wouldn't. I wouldn't do it because of that. If I if I were to want to change the license on that project, I would hire a lawyer before I did it. Yeah. Because I don't know. I I think as you release. So if you release a version, you're releasing it under a specific license. If you release the next version, you can change the license. And I see licenses change all the time from BSD to. Apache or back and forth. Uh, I don't think it's unusual for that to happen. And I may start out as an open source project and decide I want to try and make money off of it and I'm not doing it through support anymore. So why don't I do it through the code? Now, I think Synergy is still just one person, maybe a couple people. And I know for a fact, well, the, the, the Simless... GitHub belongs to a specific person. It's not an organization. GitHub. I don't know how. Not, I don't know what that sure ha, allowed, has to do with it. Though. I mean, I, I don't. I don't know why I wouldn't be able to allow. I'm sorry. There are two people. I'm not sure why I wouldn't be allowed to share this with you. I'm. I'm almost certain that if I talked to the CEO of Simulus, Nick Bolton, he could sell me on everything he's doing in two minutes, and I'd be totally fine with it. It's just weird for me because I remember Synergy in 2001 and it was open source, open source, open source. I mean, it was it was where I first started using open source software. Yeah, but that was 16 years ago. Which is why it would probably only take but him two if, minutes if, to sell let, me. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. So, so you're talking about a software package that you've used for, for 16 years or however long. You think it's two developers? I mean, yeah, and now they want think, now they want twenty dollars. Come are on, indigent <laughs> servants to you for moving all forward? this over twenty dollars. I mean, you think these guys don't deserve to make money off of this? Yeah, we spent way too much time on this at this point. I, I don't understand what the problem is. <laughs> Thomas, you're batting zero today. I'm sorry, and I'm an open source supporter. I'm an open source supporter. I, I'm an open source supporter of the philosophy, but I also think open source developers need to be able to make a living. And this is one of the ways they make a living. And, and we, the, the the philosophy behind the open source allows for this. I don't, I don't understand it's, really it's, what your hang up is. It's time it, for but... me to release the hate. I just, it's, I, th- I think it's an irrational, <laughs> it's an irrational thing built up over it's because literally you, 20 years. It's because you rely on that piece of software so heavily and you want it. Well, and, and I haven't used Synergy. And it was free. It's been I, free to you. I haven't used Synergy 2 yet, but I can tell you that Synergy 1 literally hasn't changed in the last 18 years. So I guess so, uh, being asked to pay for Synergy 1 again upset me because it hasn't changed. It just moved from free to pay. Fun fact, I pay for Synergy. I paid for Synergy you since... son of a bitch. Probably for the last... <laughs> yeah, probably for the last uh, 10 years when I when I used to have a lot of multiple systems. Um, 
and as probably as a result of that, they had me as an alpha tester on Synergy 2. And I did a, a, a live uh, screen share with at least two of the developers. I don't know if they're the only two developers on the project. Was it uh, a guy, guy and a girl? two developers. Nope. Uh, a, 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 an Asian guy and a... Oh, that is a dude. I think it was, he was a British hey, guy. I pay for Synergy too, <laughs> and I don't even use it. Oh, yeah, no, I got that wrong. Yeah, that was both developers. You were on the call with both of them. All two of them. Yeah, and and so we we I got a very, very early, early release that was more broken than fixed. Um, talk, talk through some of the issues that we saw with it. Uh, but... Um, yeah, and, and quite honestly, I you know they they asked me would I upgrade, and I told them no. I mean there there was nothing compelling here to make me upgrade. Uh, the the original one, the one that I already have a license for, works fine. Um, I, the reality of it is, I really don't use it that much, but I still do use it. Uh, yeah, I mean the the only thing they asked me that they they said what would compel you to upgrade. I'm like if there was an easy way to drag and drop files from um, one system to another that, you know, that would, might, you know, have me upgrade. Um, I The reality of it is I can do that now because I have all, all uh, Macs, so I can actually drag and drop files pretty easily between systems. But, yeah, um, I, I've paid for Synergy for a while. What do you mean for yeah, a while? I, what do you mean for a I while? Pay, it's I not a subscription pay, model. Uh, I, I think, well, I, I guess what I should say is I, I paid for it a while back, I guess is what I Yeah, saying. I paid. I, I've had a license I paid for a while. $5 back yeah, in. I'm sorry. Happened to be September 11th, 2014. And, and, and that's, that's not the only open source project. I, I've actually, I've actually donated to, uh, the charity that the author of them Asks you to donate to. I've, uh, I, I've, I've actually paid money for open source solutions to those developers because it, again, it's very important to me that I feel like that they should be able to make money off of it. Well, all right. So you just got to stop being so stingy, Thomas. I guess. I think that's the. I think that's the core of the problem. If it's a, if it's something that you find useful and, and you can't afford to pay twenty dollars for it, then let me know. I'll help you out. I mean, come on, it's 20 bucks on something you use. It's not the money, it's the principle. I mean, straight up, but you, but straight you up, Thomas, we, we, bought, uh, we bought a subscription, we bought a license for Spark, which is the Laravel Commerce uh, uh, package. We bought a subscription for Spark, have never used it. But to this day, I feel good about it because at the time that was one of the only ways that that Taylor was getting an income through Laravel. I, I don't know if he had Forge deployed then or not, but you know, John and I talked about it. We're like, yeah, and I mean, Spark was like a hundred bucks or something. It, it wasn't a five or ten or twenty dollar software purchase. It was, you know, it was in the three three figures, three digits. Supposedly, like supposedly, drag and drop files from one computer to another is coming soon. Just FYI. Yeah, all the all the pro that features. That was my... All the pro features are coming soon. 
I'm not all of them. Clipboard sharing's on there. Doesn't say coming soon. That's an old feature. <laughs> anyway. Speaking of open source projects. Sorry, I didn't... I didn't... Wine 3.0 has been released. Is that still a thing? Thomas, you've already been whining enough. Do you really want to go more? No, I've been beering. Wah, wah, wah. Uh, you guys know what wine is, right? The Windows emulator, right? If I'm thinking of the right wine. Yeah. Yeah, although they, they decry the name emulator. They, they consider themselves a... Uh, dynamically linked library Actually, what environment. Wine stands for is wine is not emulator. Or wine is not emulating or something like yeah, that. Yeah, wine is not it's an emulator. Cursive, yeah. It's a compatibility layer capable yeah, of running Windows applications on several POSIX compliant operating systems such as Linux, Mac OS, and BSD. So the interesting thing about this is that they've added Direct3D 10 and 11 support, which is not the most up-to-date but it is what every current game supports. Now, do they support Wayland? I don't know, but they do. <laughs> do they have a They do have here? a schedule for Direct 3D 12 and Vulkan, as well as OpenGL ES. So there are interesting ramifications here because if a Mac can run Windows games just as well as a Windows machine, you might see some some advancements in the Mac gamer world. Yeah, whatever. That's it's not going to happen. I don't care enough about DLLC to consider it. I don't care. All right, <laughs> moving. On. A Mac is for professionals, not for gamers. All right, so I'm going to go ahead and throw throw something out there. Um, I heard I heard an interesting story today on the news. There's an app out there now that. You can, you can give your consent to sexual encounters before your date. Can I just use my camera for so that? There, there's an app turn my camera on and say, "Hey, can you can where, you please tell me that this is consensual? Record that." Do I need an app for real? So you feel like you feel like there's a need to do that? No, I'm, I don't think oh, you do. What but, world do we live in now? Where we? But, we but I don't need an app for it. This. It's not even a matter of... I agree. You, That's what I'm saying. Am I back to both of you guys? Yeah, you're fine. It's not even a matter of documenting it in any way. It's the fact that this concept fundamentally misunderstands and misrepresents what consent is. Exactly. Consent can change. Yeah, consent does change. Yeah. And it can change at any moment. Mm-hmm. And... The, tying someone into a contract like that is fucking bizarre and can you imagine how bad the harvey weinstein situation would be if he had actresses contractually obligated to have sex with him that that's weird i don't i don't think it makes you contractually obligated to have sex thomas i don't think that's the way but it's trying to alleviate any sort of liability where if i had somebody sign that and then did things they didn't like, and then they wanted out, then technically they're contractually uh, obligated because they can't come back at me and say it wasn't consensual. So it is an obligation right. at that point. Okay. But, well, but it's it's a post-obligation, right? That you, you had consented, 
the act had occurred. Now, whether or not you you had a desire to change your consent before the actual action happened, that that's an argument. And whether or not this application takes that into account, I don't know. I don't know if you can retract your consent before the action. But again, we, we do have a very real world scenario that not a lot of people like to talk about it, except for the knuckleheads out there who make these poor arguments about it. But there is the after the fact retractions that happen that I thought I was going to enjoy this. I thought it was what I wanted, but after it happened, I, you know, I realized it wasn't, I made a but mistake. That's different. And you know, now I will say that I wasn't, uh, but, but th- that, that is what this is trying to address. But, but how does it address that? It doesn't, it doesn't address that problem specifically at all. All you have to say is I it, no, didn't I, agree I to the thing that he did. I wouldn't did. say it doesn't address it at all. It does address it on some level, but I don't think I don't. So I, I again, I started this off. I I am agreeing with you. I don't think this is a good solution, but to say that it doesn't address that at all, Thomas is is wrong. It does address it. It, it shows that I there, think it addresses. It shows that there was consent it, at some point. Potentially, there, there was the thought. Of I this. think it addresses one thing very right. specifically, very well, which is people who have sexually transmitted diseases. I think that the fact that you can confirm with a person outside of the scope of sexual contact that they are aware that you have a sexually transmitted disease—that's important on a legal level. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's good. I think that's good. Because we live in a world where that issue goes unaddressed. That's true. But That's a good point. other things, fundamentally, consent, the term consent, shouldn't be anywhere near this kind of contractual thing. You shouldn't be saying that I have proof they gave consent, because consent is a fluid thing. It can be withdrawn for any reason. Now, just an establishment of knowledge of the physical situation, that's something entirely different to say i have an std you're confirming that you know that that's totally fine because that's knowledge that's proof of knowledge Mm -hmm. but the other things they're trying to address here where uh, bdsm is okay or videotaping is okay or that kind of thing those should not be part of the same system of proof of knowledge those those are consensual things and i have to ask the question maybe i'm old school but how do you how do you go that far that fast? Like if if you don't know a person well enough, where well, you have to document consent, but yet you feel like there's an opportunity for these more advanced sexual encounters. I don't know. That doesn't match up in my head. It's like I think we're living in a world where men are concerned about that, though. Have the trust. <laughs> I agree with you, Eric. That's old school thinking, yeah. and I completely agree with you. I'm not. I don't think it's old school thinking. I think it's monogamous thinking. Okay, that's that's a good point. No, not monogamous. At all. You know, and and no offense to anyone in the room, the three of us don't bank our lifestyle on our looks. But there are very much people hey, out there hey. who make money looking great, and they have sex speak every night because of it. Speak for yourself, pickle pixel boy. <laughs> hey. The pixelated look does it for you, Eric. For sure. 
makes that beard look much more well grown out. My pants are flying off right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think I just, I just, I, I think <laughs> proof of knowledge is fine. Proof of consent is totally a fictional concept. Uh, yeah, completely. But that's unfair to women that would sign something like that. Not even necessarily women, people to say that they're yeah. they're okay with something and then they change their mind. Well, sometimes you have Indian food <clears throat> and you change your mind for a reason you don't want to disclose to your partner. <laughs> that remind no, we won't get into that. Scratch that. <laughs> no need to go down there. Whoa. Again. Didn't a mean couple of months ago. Jeez. Oh, I'm going to put a record scratch sound effect there. <laughs> I hope you do. That'd a be fun. A couple months ago, we a couple months ago, we dug into it and and found the end of Silex sort of announcement. Uh someone who had spoken with Fabian, but Fabian himself hadn't spoken out about it. So we've got a pair of announcements officially from Symphony uh from the horse's mouth itself. Uh, January 12th, the end of Silex. January 17th, the end of Symphony 1. Oh. I don't know if anyone... This is January 12th in the past? Well, this was... This was January 12th already happened. This was when the posts were made on the Symphony blog. Uh, Symphony, ah, okay. Symphony 1 is now eight years old. I was say, aren't we the at last the major Symphony version. at this point? Yeah. So Fabian is announcing that Symphony 1 is shutting down at the end of February and there will be no support unless there is public demand for it. No, unless there is compensation for it. <laughs> Didn't we just talk about this? Well, I think that's how he measures public demand. <laughs> uh, Silex is going to be ending life in june of 2018 so we're going to see these two legacy products really fade out but i'm amazed that okay, symphony so, one is just so it, now getting end of the, life the, the, the symphony one symphony one is no longer being supported symphony isn't going away it's up to symphony four silex is going away as a as a solution because of Again, Symphony 4 and the way they decided to implement it as a minimal install. Right. So it's it's not like, it's not really comparing apples to apples. Symphony 1 is a very old implementation of the Symphony platform, and it's just not, no longer going to be supported. Right, but that's, that's amazing. Is, I mean, Silex me. would, would be, the which the, part? So Fabian is saying that the last major version of Symphony 1 was eight years ago. And now it's end of life next month. So in 2010, the last so major version. You're that's, impressed, right? I'm, f I'm very impressed, especially when I read. Okay, yeah. Especially when I read an issue on the Laravel framework GitHub that says, can releases please be properly tested? And it has a list of what? One, two, three, four, five, six, nine. Uh, commits that were then rolled back because they broke something within the 5.5 branch. I mean, that's just the last four months or th two months. And it's got a massive number 
of people on there saying, yes, please test before you release, test before you release. And Taylor's response was, from now on, I'll just be closing all PRs without good tests and explanation. And it's like, wait, so you weren't checking the, the, the code for the framework before pushing it to a release state? How did we get from Symphony to Laravel? Because I'm so impressed by how Fabian is doing things, and I'm ah. I'm driven completely crazy by how Taylor is doing things. Taylor himself has touted the lifestyle of the BDFL. Do you guys know what that is? The Benevolent Dictator for Life. <laughs> Benevolent Dictator for Life. Right. And it, Which you cannot you cannot put upon yourself. The community has to give you that title. But okay. Well, no one... That's not a good title. There's no such thing as a benevolent dictator. Because that's not what a dictator does. I just... I'm driven so crazy. Now, this thread, it's not just people popping in and saying, I agree, I agree. These are all people who are flagged as contributors to Laravel. Who have had their PRs accepted and been marked as a contributor to the to the repository and how can you have 5.531 reverted reverted you know 5.30 to 7 to 0.6 those are all reverts for bad broken code i mean you can't say you're enterprise ready you can't say you're even small business ready when you've got nine reverted broken changes in minor revisions. And I brought this up with Jose, my boss, and he doesn't know anything about this whole thing. And his comment was just, it seems like he's overextending himself. And it goes, it goes all the way back to what you were saying is how do you not overextend yourself? How do you not take on every job? And I think calling yourself a benevolent dictator for life is intentionally taking on more than you can handle. Yeah. I don't know. I'm bringing it I'm bringing it all the way back around. You've been you've been uh ready for this one all day, haven't you? No, I was actually much more ready for Eric's ticket about uh contractual sex. <laughs> been, been waiting for that one. You had a good response to it. Yeah. yeah. You had, you had a good response. Yeah. I, I look. Hey, so I, I look at Symphony and I look at Laravel, and my decision today was that given the option, I would no longer be a Laravel developer. I would be a Symphony developer. Because I don't want to go to a new company Ooh. and say, Laravel is my framework of choice. I'm glad to go to them and say, I know Laravel very well. I am a guru. I would rather use symphony because the state of laravel right now is the state of laravel right now is so crazy in flux and so out of touch with the open source community that i can't present myself as a member of that that congregation wow harsh words i mean it's and i'm not happy about it i'm bummed about it i'm not bragging that something has changed i think it's a bummer that Laravel has ended up in this situation where it elevated PHP across the globe and has become a problem in the PHP oh. community. Well, I know I've heard great things about Symphony 4, and 
I mean, they're both great frameworks, right? There's no denying that. They're both very successful. But I'm tending to agree at this at this point, not being fully vested in one per se. We use Laravel a lot for some of our projects, but kind of have to agree with if the maintainer is calling himself a benevolent benevolent dictator. That's a little bit scary. And even even jokingly. And like I have I just did a rollout where I updated all of our five point three code to five point five. And I had to dig into the most 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 current version of five point five to make sure that when I had done the pull request, I hadn't specified a version that was fundamentally broken. Because there have been six fundamentally broken versions of 5.5. Did I did I make that composer lock file on the wrong day? I don't want to be in that situation. <laughs> you know, the biggest problem I had was that we were using a, a GOIP library uh, but, that was two years you... old. And it had a breaking change. But it was two years since we'd updated it. I don't want it to have to be three days. But don't you run that risk with any... Don't you run that risk with any composer project you might use? Not with Symphony. You, you still run the risk. You're hoping that they maintain it right, better. But, you just... but six times in two months is way too high of a percentage for a completely broken version. Valid point. Mm-hmm. Valid point. You know, I, I'm still a subscriber just, to yeah, Laravel. I still, I still feel like I, I still feel like Laravel's managed where you know there's it's it's my project, um, you know, mine being Taylor, and you know I'll, I'll you know, I'm doing what what interests me. I think he has enough people kind of following him now, where they're just they're just giddy about everything he does. He can never he can never do anything wrong, which is harmful to Taylor, whether he sees it or not. I I don't know. I can't you know I don't have conversations with the guy where. He says, "Yeah, no, I know, I know these guys will always say I'm right." And it seems like every time he sends, sends out a tweet, "Hey, I'm thinking about you know changing the syntax here." There's like a thousand people. That's brilliant. You're so smart. I'm so happy. Oh, this is so nice. It's like uh, he's looking for constructive feedback. People, he's not looking for everybody just continuously praise him. Or maybe he is. I don't know. Uh, but I rarely see people give him. Const- Construct uh, criticism, and those who t- do get ousted pretty quick from the Laravel community as a whole. So, whereas again with Symphony, it's a commercial entity. There is a business. There is a business mandate to to stay compatible to you know to have a structure. Uh, and I I I feel again to John's point as a company, we've got to start putting more a higher value on that we love symphony i love how easy it is to implement i love how easy it is to use but the reality of having having these changes from minor versions where this functionality wasn't in 5.2 but it's in 5.3 is killing you, us. Did, you said I mean, symphony you meant laravel right having having change okay. L- L- laravel yeah i'm sorry yeah laravel and and so having the more structured structured environment of symphony you know i think as a company as a business as people who make money off of our code we need to put more value and there's in. and I, 
And, you know, we've been talking about this for yeah, a while. Yeah, and so with what know. Taylor said as far as closing PRs that aren't properly tested, there's nothing wrong with that if he's not if he's not just saying that flippantly, like being pissed off at some comment. It, it's okay to require tests of your code, especially for an open source project. Show me the tests that prove that what you did works and keep your pull requests small. You don't make them a thousand lines. Unless they really have to be sure. to implement a feature. Sure, but if you go to Laravel, if you go to Laravel's framework GitHub page right now, the build is listed as failing <laughs> because because the unit tests are ignored, and that's the problem. Is that there's there's a pointer here to collection get is broken after commit two two five five four. That commit that got pulled in failed a unit test i that's what i don't understand is that if you're failing unit tests why the fuck is your commit getting pulled in that's what your unit test says don't do it and collection get is a a very standard method for every laravel app uh, acting as helper is broken in unit tests individual illuminate packages are not updated since 5528 you know it, if you have unit tests and you ignore them and then you say, I don't understand why people think we're not frame, we're not enterprise ready, then you have your head up your ass. I, I, I mean, you're not wrong. I know, baby. Uh, from, from where I sit. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I just, uh, and, and, and Taylor's response was, I am benevolent dictator. I will be stricter about accepting pull requests in the future. There's nothing wrong with being strict. And I don't. I, th I think. Right, but you know, you should also follow your own unit tests. Yeah. That's it's just it's it's annoying to me. I we've we've pushed Laravel. We, you guys alone have introduced Laravel to what fifteen developers, twenty developers that you work with on a regular basis, and probably in the area of a hundred developers in the San Diego area. Yeah, I mean, we definitely I, definitely I, built a. A little career around in, in, it. Yeah. So it's not like... I mean, everything I write right now is built on Laravel. It's not like I'm I'm using Symfony and maliciously bagging on Laravel. We've had concerns for a long time. Right. You know, and some of the concerns we've... And, and we've been bitten by these things right. in the past. I mean, that's the thing. I, I think we're, we're, we're speaking from, a, a, you know, real world, real implementation... Money, money being you know lost because things break when we try to do a composer update uh, implementation sort of thing. Yeah, I mean, we felt the pain. So we're not we're not just at least speaking for myself. I'm not out just bagging on Laravel. I Laravel elevated my programming capabilities by an incredible amount, but the state that it's in now. It needs attention as a company, not as a not as a framework. If if all of it needs direction, right? Is what it needs. If all of Taylor's work from now to for the next three months was dedicated towards building a structure that that brought it up to speed with something like Symphony, I would be perfectly fine with that. No new features, just bring the the company into relevance. Yeah. yeah. So. Let's move on because we've spent way too long on it. 
<laughs> Thomas, I would love to hear this this uh hear about your thoughts around confirmation emails. That this kind of piqued my interest. There was ten years ago a a conversation among everyone who used email that email was fundamentally broken and was no longer being used for the purpose it was intended. And there were a lot of problems with it. When Gmail came out, that resolved the spam issue for me. The spam issue was one of the big, big issues where you had more spam than relevant email by an order of magnitude. But I find myself with these workflow patterns that I should not have because I still use email. Eric, you're zoning out. Still there? Turn into a zony. Yeah, I'm listening. He's just stretching. You guys know what a confirmation. You guys know what a confirmation email is. Get them all the time. Sign up for any service. Please go confirm your email address. So this is, by its very definition, a one-time email. The the moment that you click the link to verify your email, the code that's being used to, to validate that account gets tossed and will never, ever be used again. Nothing in that email is of any consequence ever after you click that link. Right. Right? Correct. So, In theory, yeah. So why do I have 500 confirmation emails just sitting in my inbox? Or Because you're not good I, at deleting? Because you don't delete them? Well, my workflow is when I get a confirmation email, I middle-click it so that it opens it up in a new tab and delete it before I've even looked at the tab it opened. But why are we using email for that function? To, that's not what emails it's we've turned email into an identity system it, it's not it's not an identity system though it's it's a confirmation of this is the email that i can send you notifications about the platform that you just signed i don't up ever for. it's not saying i don't ever want notifications this is how it, i just want access to the site and they're using my email as my identity and we've accepted that it's either going to be my email, my Facebook, or my Gmail, or my Google Plus account, with all the uh, OAuth implementations we have out there. I don't see the problem here. And, I, I think those are the options, right? Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not following what the issue is. There wasn't an option for certain CSS3 functions until CSS3 was introduced, and even in Gmail, it was what. Seven years ago that they introduced auto-sorting by primary, social, promotion, update, and forum. But they've done... Where are you going? What's they've this? done nothing. There's been no progression in email, in email clients. I mean, no, nobody's making the argument that email is a viable platform to, to do a whole lot with. And people might put more more trust into email than they should. But to say that it doesn't have any purpose, this this is one of those purposes. Email's not a guaranteed delivery. And for you to think email, everything I need to do, I can do through email because I'm always going to get the documents I want. I'm always going to get the emails I want. I'm always going to know who it's from. And I'm always going to be secure and confident with it. That's not what email is. Me being able to say, I want to be able to log in to this, this site using this email address and that company saying, okay, I just want to make sure that you actually have access to this account 
is perfectly valid. I mean, DNS does it, right? If I, if, or, or, or SSL search do it. Like, if I go to, you know, Let's Encrypt and say, I need an SSL search for a PHP Ugly, it then says, okay, I need to make sure that you own, you know, you, you, you have access or some sort of level of, of ownership to that domain. So it's, I, I don't, I, I really, I'm not, not getting my head and around. And as a business owner, if I, if I spin up a site, I just want to make sure I have a way of contacting you. Whether you check it or not, it's another story, but it's just a, a way to confirm I have a good way to contact you. Your, your mute was backwards. We could hear you smoking, I mean, is, but not hear you talking. Is that part of your argument, Thomas? Excellent. I will tell you how this came up. Okay. I am implementing TOTP. Okay. Timed one-time passwords. TOTP. Now, timed one-time mm-hmm. passwords includes what well, Authy, Google Authenticator, and a couple other different solutions. Mm-hmm. They sure. They are part of uh, what MF multi-factor authentication user authentication MF yeah. authentication MFA. Okay. Or TFA. But TOTP doesn't. TOTP doesn't have to be part of multi-factor authentication. It's just used as part of multi-factor authentication. So because you're generating a secret for a user that is completely arbitrary, you could have a user account bound to a T-O... T-O-T-P, correct. T-O-T-P, yeah, you could have a user account bound exclusively to a T-O-T-P password. Correct. But no one, but yeah, no one yeah, does that because they want point, your email. At, I, I want to be able to some, contact you. But at at some point, that I don't want to be contacted. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you want. Well, that's your personal problem. But don't sign up for my service if you don't want me to contact. Not you. gonna. Yeah, that's and and even with something like Authy. So so your your argument is Authy is is always used for multi-factor authentication, but it doesn't necessarily need to be. That it could be used as a way of validating your, your ID, right? But even Authy has to validate who you are at some point. So they, they happen to do their they don't have to phone yeah. But that's only for Which that's only for recovery. The same thing as that's the, only for recovery. With Google Authenticator you don't. And that's not well, and it's, it's not validating it, my authentic it's not validating it's, it's my also, identity. It's it's just validating that I have... Neither is email. Email's not validating your identity. <laughs> no, it's selling my identity. Email doesn't validate your identity. When you sign up for a free service, giving them access to your email address is your is their... There's no such thing as a free service. Right, because the because There's you're no always giving thing. an email. You're always giving your data. Mm-hmm. So so would you rather pay for a service and not, not give them your email? Would you do that? Mr. I don't want to pay for Synergy... Compiled I like version? what you did there. Eric. I'm calling. Or do you want them to continue? I'm. Do you want them to continue to offer you a free service and not take you know to take not not have a way to make money off? I of am it. calling for an for? uprising. I am calling for users. <laughs> You're an uprising to know the value of their personal information and refuse to give it to people just because they so ask. I. I... I like where you're going there, but but there's a fundamental issue there in the fact that a TOTP is only six digits, right? Um, it's your decision, but yes. But it defaults to six digits, but it can be a hundred, right? But by default, being six digits, there's no way I can make that unique per person. If I had 
any any more no, than nine hundred ninety nine thousand people. If I had a million or more people, it doesn't per work. second or per per. No, if I had more period. than a million users, I fundamentally can't seconds. use that. No, no, you can't. No, at any one no, second, I, I, it's a I, hit I, rate. No, if I had a million members of my site, at any given second, two people are gonna have the same six digit code. Has to be. Sure. So make it. Well, okay. It's it's not a million though. Six digit code. It's six digit numeric and alphanumeric. No, it's numeric. It, it, they're not alphanumeric. They're just numeric. TOTP is numeric. Okay, make it seven digits. Make it make it eight digits. Okay. You can make it eight digits when you create the service. I, that's why yeah. I asked, I was looking at it today. Six digits is the default, but I can make it eight. Okay. I I haven't seen eight, so I'll take your word for it. When I implemented it before, I. Use, I must have used yeah. the defaults because it was six digits. What I found... Right. I'm pretty sure I've set, I've set up multi-factor authentication where it, it has said, okay, now when you're, when you're first setting it up, it says, give me your, your, your six-digit code as it appears on your screen. So I'm, I'm not 100% it, sure... It displays that after you scan right, the QR code. code. Because the QR code includes that encoding data, the initialization vector uh, has gotcha. has the secret key, the yeah. length of the OTP password, oh, and a bunch okay. of other gotcha. validation mm-hmm. information. Because it's a, it's an algorithm that uses just the system clock and the secret key to generate a an OTP. So, which was new to me, I thought there was some kind of cross communication between the Authy and the service. They never talk to each other except for the first time nope. they talk. It's just the QR code. That's it. Yep. And another fun fun fact is when you change time zones, especially if you go like East Coast to West Coast here in the U.S. and there's a three-hour time difference, your authy will break. Your your two-factor will break, and you need to sync resync your code your codes back up because of that. Yeah. I've I've had that happen to me in the past. Yeah, it's 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 an interesting system, but at as cryptocurrency guys, we're aware that if we lose our secret key, it's gone. The money's gone. And there are people who have invested hundreds of millions of dollars, and the only thing they have is the secret key. They don't have an email backup. They don't have validation to make sure that their stuff is being used by them and not by somebody else. And that this is millions of dollars of people's individual money. I think it's okay to say that I should be able to f- sign into Facebook – without disclosing my email address. And, and Facebook actually is the worst example. Facebook probably needs my email more than anything else. I have email verifications from Club Penguin. I don't need that. Or like MLab, when I wanted to download a trial of some software, they wanted me to so verify let me, my Let identity. me ask you a simple question. Let me ask you a simple question. You go to log, log into your Club Penguin account, and you can't remember what your password is. It's gone. How then do it's you gone. recover your password? Then it's gone. So you, you've just lost. You've completely lost all your hats and scarves and everything you bought for Pokey, your penguin Pokebucks. And yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you understand what I'm saying? It's like it, it's <laughs> not a real world. But that's the way the real world was until somebody started world. using Sorry. email addresses to verify identities. And even then, now and, the vector and, and they for... they did that to make it better. Right, but now the main vector for attacking somebody is getting their email address, getting their email access. 
you get you get your you get your teeth sunk into these topics real deep, Thomas. I don't know what you're talking about. You can keep talk you can keep talking about it. I can tell you right now, you're not gonna convince me. I doubt you're gonna convince John. I doubt you're gonna convince any of the three listeners who are still listening. I I firmly believe that the three listeners who are still listening are listening explicitly for this because I always leave it right at the end of the show. <laughs> there the rest of the listeners, when they hear this part coming, the rest of the listeners drop out, but there are a dedicated few who who like my hor- horrifying perspective on technology. <laughs> All right. Well, I tell you what, this this delay is absolutely killing me. I, it seems to be getting worse. I have great news for you. We're going to extend your delay from the couple seconds it is now to seven days because we are at the end of the show thank god <laughs> i wish i could say this one was fun this is a lot of arguing in this one it's been it's been great this is, i think it was some good discussion we, we did do a lot of arguing yes i'm glad we did it when there was i, I don't know if i agree with you such there a good delay <laughs> maybe i'll get this one edited before it's been killing me all right, I think that's a wrap. We're done. 92. Episode 82 of PSP. 82 of the books. I'm Eric Van Johnson. 92. 92. <laughs> I'm Eric Van Johnson. I'm John Congdon. I'm Tom Rideout. Keep it, Keep it, up. Up. Keep it ugly. Thanks for listening to this episode of PHP Ugly, and thanks to our sponsor, the Diego Dev Group. If you're looking for developers who care about the code they create, the communities they build, and the solutions they implement, then reach out to the Diego Dev Group at www.diegodev.com. Show notes can be found at www.phpugly.com. Follow PHP Ugly on Twitter at phpugly. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or directly off the PHP Ugly RSS feed. A rating of five stars on iTunes is appreciated. Submit articles to phpugly at reddit.com slash r slash phpugly. Until next week, keep it ugly.